Hello and welcome to our continuing 2017 educational webinar series. I am Dr. Jill Brooks, Senior Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, a hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Our focus this month is on HIPAA and PCI compliance. We are so pleased to have Raymond Ripple presenting HIPAA Security Monitoring Access, Incident Management, and Detection. Ray is the founder of Sphere Inc. and the co-founder of Fusion Systems. Ray currently leads the organization addressing privacy and security in healthcare, detecting unauthorized access to EPHI, and preventing major breaches. Sphere represents the leading SAAS user activity monitoring security solution for HIPAA compliance, meaningful use, macro, and overall protection of patient health information. Ray participates in a number of PHI privacy groups, speaks at seminars and webinars, and actively contributes to the growing awareness of the need to identify malfeasance and breach detection. With over 25 years in the technology industry, he has delivered solutions beginning in aerospace with Northrop to financial systems development in Asia for many of the world's top investment banks to the recent creation of machine learning-based solutions for the U.S. healthcare markets. Go ahead, Ray. Hey, thank you, and uh, good morning or good afternoon to everybody, uh, depending on where you are in the United States. Um, so I'd like to introduce myself real quick, and thank you, Jill, for the introduction. So unfortunately, Jill, it's now 30 years, not even 25, uh, that I've been doing what I do. Um, Sphere Inc., which I'll talk about at the end of the presentation, is, is my baby. And uh, obviously, I've been in the technology game for a long time, as you said, starting in the aerospace industry, uh, working on black, uh, black projects, as they call them, and then into finance, and now in the healthcare industry. And it's interesting how the technology has transitioned from my early years to now and how much of what I learned uh, you know, 30 years ago is still applicable in the technology and the way that we're doing things uh, in today's world. So hopefully I can uh, impart some of that to everybody as we go through the presentation. A um, little bit about myself in terms of background for everybody. Uh, we've all probably experienced or were associated with the high-tech program. Uh, how I ended up in this uh, background was that my company bid and was selected here in Southern California to be one of the high-tech partners. And so we worked with over 2,000 uh, healthcare organizations from very small private practices up to large uh, clinical and hospital enterprise groups or organizations to get them through the meaningful use process with consulting, technology consulting, and obviously everything around getting them through attestation. Uh, and that's really what led to the, the birth of the company Sphere Inc. And uh, while I'm not going to go into that aspect of it, that just gives you some background of my understanding. Um, I did spend time overseas, 18 years in Japan, two years in uh, China. Um, I speak Japanese fluently. My Chinese is so-so, mama hu hu. And uh, I think the last line is probably the most important. I'm a brother, I'm a, a husband and a father, and, and I'm a suffering Detroit uh, fan. I, I love the Lions, and they suck as bad as any team can suck. And, you know, the Tigers are not doing good this year, so life is rough for me. But... Uh, Enough about me. Today I want to jump in and I want to talk to you a little bit about what we're going to learn. We're going to talk about PHI. We're going to talk about how to protect it, how to detect it, and what you can do as an organization uh, to keep yourself uh, out of any malfeasance and out of any uh, harm's way. So um, I'm going to open by going over the security landscape and just giving you a sense of uh, what's happening out there right now, some of, the, some of the data points that you should be aware of. 
Um, I want to talk about incidents and what incidents are and how you can identify them and what you need to do when you identify an incident. Um, you'll have to ask yourself, how do we know an incident has occurred? And I'm going to give you some ideas on what you can do, whether or not you're using a product or you're using a manual process. Um, we want to get into what you can do to protect that PHI. We'll talk a little bit about the privacy and security programs that are associated with uh, your investigations. Um, I want to differentiate between compliance, and, and Jill and I have had this discussion on numerous occasions with regard to compliance is not security. Um, I'm going to focus on the security part of it, not on the compliance part of it, but you can't avoid talking about compliance when you're discussing security, and there's so much of it embedded in your security risk assessment and your systems activity reviews. Um, I want to give you some methodologies that you can employ, and so what I've done throughout the presentation today is I've put little boxes next to some of my comments, and those boxes are really meant for you, whatever organization you're in, to go back and just make sure that you've done that or you have something similar to that uh, bullet point in your organization that you can address. And as Jill again mentioned momentarily, um, if you want to reach out to me or anybody on my team after the call and ask us questions about any of those points or how you can do that, we're more than happy to assist you. Um, lastly, I want to talk about the people in the organization. Uh, really, the reason I got involved in what I'm doing in healthcare is both from a patient perspective but also from the individuals in healthcare who are responsible for taking care of PHI and securing the PHI. And I'm hoping that I can impart with you a little bit of my knowledge and what I've learned over the last five years. So I want to start with a poll question. I want to open this up and have everybody take a look at it. Um, the first thing I, I want to do is just say what security threat keeps you awake at night. Uh, we've got five categories here in terms of hacktivists, the hackers that we hear so much about, uh, phishing schemes, hopefully everybody's familiar with phishing schemes, uh, what happens when some email that looks like an email it might be from AT&T and telling you that you need to review your bill, but if you look closely that X, the T is actually a plus or uh, it's from somebody else and the L is actually an exclamation point. So um, the just phishing, you need to be very, very careful about any email. One of the things I always tell everybody, just put your cursor over the link click here and see if the return address is recognizable to what, who you received the email from. Ransomware, and I can already see that ransomware is pretty popular in the results here. Um, malicious insider, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the people that you bring into your organization, not just employees, but also vendors. And of course, the last one is I sleep well at night. I have nothing that keeps me worried. And I've actually heard people give this answer. Um, so it looks like we've got quite a few. I want to give you just uh, one more, five more seconds. And then let's close this up and uh, see what our results look like. Let's display that. Share. And you can see the results here. So it looks like, actually, I can't see the results. So looks like we have 48% of the people, so roughly half of the listeners today believe that ransomware is the one thing that uh, it keeps you awake at night. And I, I think that's reasonable, and I'm going to talk about that in my presentation. So let me move on, and uh, thank you for participating in that and answering that question. I'm going to have one more for you as we go along here. All right, so let's go into the security uh, and I kind of predicted this was going to be the answer that you were going to give, that ransomware is the focus. Because that's what you hear about the most in the media right now. Uh, and I think to a degree, we've become very desensitized 
to the ransomware. Um, it seems like there isn't a week that doesn't go by now that CBS or NBC or ABC or somebody, newspaper, is telling us about the latest uh, WannaCry or whatever the name of the new ransomware is. And if you've taken the time to attend the conference, they'll tell you that there's probably only about four or five different types of ransomware. And these real clever young people in various countries just redisguise them as uh, different types of uh, algorithms that then run against our systems and wreak havoc on our business. Um, but we hear it so much we're not paying attention to it anymore, and I think that's a big problem. Uh, for us, in the healthcare industry, while ransomware is a concern, I'm actually more concerned about what happens inside of our networks, not the potential for a disaster happening as it comes into our network. Uh, last year, uh, 2016, we had 328 major breaches. That's a breach over 500 records. What they don't tell you is there were over 17,000 different types of breaches that were under 500 that were reported, and those numbers don't get uh, calculated and show up on the uh, Health and Human Services uh, website. 171 million records, patient records, that were exposed in a four-year period of time. Um, if you want to think of that a different way, uh, that would be equivalent to the adult population of the United States on a yearly basis. Uh, take away the children, take away uh, a couple of other factors there, and you're running into everybody gets breached. And just as an example, um, this morning I received an email from my bank telling me that they identified uh, malicious activity with my credit card, and so I'm going to be issued a new credit card, even though I, I checked and there doesn't seem to be anything wrong. This is what I believe myself and you experience on a day-to-day -day basis, and so we're becoming numb to the information and how it's happening, because I don't know what happened, and I'm not sure anything other than that Visa is doing a good job of monitoring my card. And I would say to you, you want to make sure that you're doing a good job of monitoring who's looking at your PHI and taking care of it because um, it's just you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't have a tool in place to allow you to investigate and determine whether or not activity is normal or not normal, it could cause significant harm to your business. Um, hacking last year, 34% of all the breaches that were reported, so 34% of those 328 were attributed to various hacking. That's somebody from the outside, the dark lord, the dark overlord, or somebody coming in and stealing your data. The Poneman report talked about 67% of the breaches were from insiders. So there's a bit of a disparity in terms of those two numbers, and obviously I'm using various sources uh, for my information, but uh, insiders is where I'm going to focus a bit of my uh, my overall focus in today's presentation. I want to talk about that a little bit. And why? The why is the, the next bullet point here. Um, I had an opportunity to sit and listen to the uh, cybersecurity executive from Microsoft, uh, and she indicated that the perimeter had been breached. That was kind of her message. Uh, we can, we have to use firewalls. We have to have encryption. We need to do everything that we can to protect our networks and to protect our applications. Yet the bad guys are getting in. Malicious hackers are getting into our system and they're wreaking havoc. And the problem is we don't know what's going on. So we've transitioned from this prevent them from getting in to now we need to start to detect are they in there and if they're in there, what are they doing? Because the they isn't always necessarily somebody from the outside that they could be one of the people that you've hired as a consultant. It could be somebody that you brought in as a vendor. And in the worst case scenario, it could be one of your employees. Um, I, I tell people, look, don't be overly concerned about OCR and CMS penalties. We, let's be honest. There are over a million practitioners across the United States. If we start to slice and dice the segments of the market uh, and we look at the number of actual uh, audits that are taking place, 
none of us are overly concerned about that. Uh, and what's happening is there's so many reports that go into OCR and CMS that they have to follow up on. And that's what you need to be more concerned about is if some patient goes in and starts complaining to CMS that, you know, they felt that their records were breached or something happened to them and they attribute it to you, an alarm goes off at their office and all of a sudden you get a letter from one of their consulting groups telling you that you're going to be investigated. I think that's of a greater concern than, than being selected randomly for some type of an audit. But there are multiple types of audits that take place in the industry and those are the things that I want you to be focused on. And Moving forward, I don't think it's going to really come into play in 2018, but 2019 and 2020, we all need to be, start paying attention to MACRA and some of the reporting that we're going to have to do and the scoring that's going to be associated with that because that's going to hit our bottom line. And so we want to be focused on what's happening there. My next slide is my favorite slide. It's, it's what we believe and is what is reality. Uh, what we believe, quite honestly, is that somebody on the outside that we don't know, some bad guy in China or in Russia, two popular topics these days, um, are out there and they're trying to get into our system. And there's reasonable, you know, plausibility for that because, uh, as I speak to later, PHI is PHI. It doesn't matter if it's available in a small private practice or in a large institutional healthcare organization. That record is valuable and the same value on the open market from either organization. And we can all agree that the hospitals and the enterprise levels are probably better adapted and positioned spend large dollars in order to protect their data. So these guys are targeting smaller organizations, mid-sized organizations that probably haven't invested as much in the technology in order to protect and know what's happening within their systems. The worst part is, is we go out and we hire the Mr. Snowdens. He's a consultant, he's highly trained, he's very educated. We bring him in and we give him full access to our systems and we're all guilty of this, any industry, not just healthcare. Um, and then we let them run amok without paying attention to what they're doing as long as they're doing their job, quote unquote. Um, but unfortunately it turns around and it bites us in the butt and we end up being in the media for the wrong reasons. Um, and this is where we don't want to end up. We don't want to end up in some healthcare news article talking about a data breach that occurred in our business because that creates uh, reputational harm for us. Uh, we have legal lawsuits. We have uh, a number of class action lawsuits that will be coming down the, the port. And then at the end of all of that, OCR comes in and hits us with a fine that essentially puts us out of business. Um, so we want to avoid these aspects and we need to be doing something in order to protect ourselves. And to heighten that just a little bit, I want to give you a little bit of a background. I selected these organizations because what they all had in common is they were not very, very large. Maybe the uh, Memorial Healthcare System is a large enterprise with about five or six hospitals, but the others, I mean, in general were, you know, five to six offices, um, some of them even smaller, and uh, in each instance, it had something to do with stolen credentials, a disgruntled employee who was angry at the boss for being fired, so decided that they uh, could steal data and sell that data. Uh, organizations, smaller organizations often make the mistake of locking somebody out when they fired them. We had an organization who uses our product that had somebody who came back three years after they had been dismissed and tried to get into the system. They were successful in getting past the network on the system undetected and then tried three times to get into the EHR system where the records would have been stored. Um, and it was 
only because they were using our product that they identified the uh, attempted logins and then were able to do the forensic research in order to determine who it was. And we're quite surprised to find out that somebody from three years ago could get in and do that. So it's not always the people who are there today. It could be somebody from the past. And you got to make sure those back doors are closed and they can't get into your system. We trust our employees. Our employees can steal from us. We trust our contractors. Our contractors can steal from us. And as I pointed out from the Poneman report, that can cause significant damage to your organization. So all I'm asking is that you, you take care and you look inwardly. Don't just look uh, outwardly in terms of what you're doing with your business. And if anybody has questions on these or would like to get more information about these uh, as it compares to your business, then I'd be more than happy to talk with you about that. Um, a little bit of breakdown here in terms of some of those numbers again. So 67%, as I talked before, of the breaches are caused by users uh, within an organization. And users in this sense, again, I want to emphasize, doesn't just mean employees. It could be some third-party organization that you gave access to. I'll use an out-of-the-healthcare example here. Um, we all probably heard of or know of the target uh, breach that took place. That was with an HVAC, a basically the organization that sold them the cooling systems for all of their dairy products had access into their systems. And the individual who was able to get into the target system was able to actually get into that company's system. And then via that system, they slowly worked their way into the target system. Um, and so your third party vendors and reaching out to them and talking to them, it's extremely important. Uh, I might emphasize, by the way, make sure you have up-to-date, current business associate agreements with each one of your vendors that you uh, participate with, and that goes all the way down into and including the people who clean your office in the evening. Um, we saw recently the a uh, OCR fine was levied against an organization when they went in to investigate uh, a uh, accusation of malfeasance, found that that wasn't true, but as they were doing their audit, identified the fact that all of the business associate agreements at that organization were out of date and not current, and so they got fined for that in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, so once they go in and they do an audit, they're going to look at everything. They don't just look at whatever the instance was that drew them into the organization. 90% of the breaches that are identified are identified by outside organizations. So when you bring somebody in to conduct work for you, when you have a third-party organization that is doing an investigation on your behalf, uh, they might come back to you and say, oh, by the way, did you know XYZ occurred within your system? And that's one of those hamada, hamada, hamada moments where you're saying, no, I didn't know, and how long ago? And the how long ago, by the way, is typically almost one year. Um, the average breach is captured about 360 days after uh, it occurred. 70% of patients surveyed uh, that would not go to a healthcare organization entity that had been breached, right? And 60% of practices that get breached uh, typically file for bankruptcy uh, within six months. And this information, both of those came to me from our discussions with the cybersecurity team at the FBI and their investigations into the healthcare industry. And the last little tidbit I put down there for you to keep an eye on is that 46% of the surveyed patients have left or are planning to leave uh, a current physician practice. And the tale of that is because they're concerned about the protection of their PHI. So I think the, the patients, you know, the community that we serve out there are start, starting to become more aware. Where I say we're desensitized to the random information and all the information around that, our patients are becoming more aware of the fact that they have their records uh, in some digital format and that potentially 
their lifestyle could be impacted by a breach that occurs within your organization. So taking the necessary steps to secure that environment and to know who's looking at it is extremely important. And that's really why I put this slide together. The next slide here is just a representation from a, a third-party group called Jamalto, and they do a breach uh, index. It's a little bit different. wasn't totally focused on uh, healthcare, but I thought it was interesting in what they what they pointed out is that 53% of the activity when they were able to extract exfiltrate the patient records was specifically tied to identity theft. And within that identity theft, you get into things like uh, tax fraud and uh, Medicare fraud. Um, snooping here uh, only at 4%. In our world, I think that number is closer to 10%. So we find that uh, snooping shows up high on our radar uh, as we monitor users within a group. Uh, quite often we run into scenarios where one of the employees is looking at or investigating a friend of theirs or a relative of theirs. Uh, all of that is a no-no from a HIPAA perspective. Um, and I think the other uh, categories here are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but I think you know we just need to be careful what we're doing and understand that there are various motivations associated with people going into these records. So let's use an example here. Let's give you an idea of social crimes versus financial crimes. What are the motivations again? So the snooping, uh, here's a good story for you. We had our system live at a customer's office. Um, they identified one of their employees who was looking at other employee records and looking at relatives records. They approached her through HR and said, look, we want to let you know that we know this is happening. If it occurs again, we're going to let you go. Within two weeks of the warning being issued to the employee, the system identified the employee again going in and look at the records. They pulled her in and they said, you know, look, we, we told you we were watching you. We had our eye on you. Why did you do this? And her answer was, I just had to know. I couldn't resist the opportunity to look at the information. I just had to know. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just that simple. So I gave some background in terms of investigations that have happened that we've seen on the social side of things like the divorce proceedings and the custody claims, which could be very meaningful to people. We don't consider that something that we look into, but there's motivations on that side of it. And of course, here in LA, with the celebrity environment that we have, the biggest concern are all the VIPs that go in to see the various organizations that we cover. Um, and so, you know, the highest profile case that I think we had in the last couple of years was the Kardashians and the fact that 16 employees at uh, Cedar sinai were identified as going into the records to find out what the sex of the baby was going to be. I guess they wanted to sell it to TMZ or somebody. But nonetheless, they all lost their jobs within a day. Um, and, that, and that's quick action. That's knowing what's going on. Um, on the financial side of it, of course, the tax fraud, we hear so much about that. Identity theft, the ability to create credit cards, to sell those identities to uh, organizations or to people that are looking to create a new identity for themselves. We have a problem with that here in LA. Uh, prescription medicines, and I actually gave an example earlier on. If you take a look at um, the one organization that got in trouble, uh, Green Valley, I think it was, um, the gentleman there was actually writing phony scripts and then selling the medicine uh, illegally. And again, uh, both on the social side and on the financial side, again, VIPs shows up on both sides of that occasion. equation. Um, so who are you going to call? You've identified an incident. You elevated that incident to a breach. And now you said, OK, I've got a problem. It's not breach excluded. It wasn't an accident. Somebody didn't click on something inadvertently that you could explain. And, uh, and it was a large enough breach that 500 or more records were viewed or stolen. Um, 
our inclination typically is to call somebody that we know and trust, and that's a friend. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, I emphasize you should do that if they've been through it before and they have organizations that they can help you to reach out to. Uh, my recommendation to everybody is that you reach out to your legal counsel first. Uh, hopefully they have somebody within their group that has healthcare specialties and understands the HIPAA requirements. If you have an organization like First Healthcare Compliance, reach out to them. Uh, Jill and the team there would definitely be able to help you and point you in the right direction in terms of what you need to do. You want to then reach out to your cybersecurity insurance organization and find out and make sure that everything that you've done is appropriate uh, with regard to your coverage, local law enforcement in order to report the crime that's taking place. So just like getting your car stolen or uh, anything that would happen at your home, you need, actually need to report that this has occurred. And lastly, you want to get into a remediation uh, consultation, uh, and there's a number of organizations that provide solutions there. And again, First Healthcare Compliance could help you in that area. So now I want to get into a little bit about incident identification and you know that's like finding that anomaly, something that's occurred that's out of the normal and when I was putting this together I thought wow it's not too often I see a hand sticking out of the water with a sparkler on it and that's really what you're looking for. It, it might not seem obvious but as soon as you look at it you're like wow that just doesn't belong there. Um, so where are we right now? I, I've been following this. And where we are right now is this year, as of the end of May, is 156 major breaches. So we're on track to probably tie uh, last year's numbers, which is not a good thing. Um, and then uh, we, we hopefully can start to slow things down. But as you can see, it's been a steady cry, uh, rise since the beginning of the uh, advent of the EMRs throughout the industry. So with 2009, 2010, with the, uh, as people started moving in that direction, so did the number of breaches. And incident management is a process. This can be a manual process. It can be an automated process uh, within your organization. I'm kind of a, an advocate giving what I do as a business, so I'm always looking for people to do things in a 24-hour cycle. Uh, a lot of our clients want to wait and do things on a weekly basis. The problem is, is it's tough to remember what happened on Monday when you've been busy all the way through the week until Friday. Um, so you need to have a process in place to detect what's occurring within your organization. Who has access to what information? What department are they working in? Were they filling in for somebody else on that day? Was somebody on vacation? Should they be looking at the information that they were looking at? Um, what is the investigative process? How do you determine whether or not that was authorized or unauthorized access to that PHI? Do you talk to the employee directly? Is there a record that you can look at to determine whether or not that was appropriate for them to do that? There are audit logs associated with every EMR, EHR. A number of third-party systems that you're using, like uh, your imaging systems, your practice management solution, your billing systems, where PHI is also included and your employees have access to that, or hackers potentially could break in and get access to those information. Um, also, they have audit logs associated. The ONC mandated that this is something that you can monitor and you should be monitoring um, as part of your overall security blanket. So. Going in there and being able to look at that information and determine what's happening is critical to your organization, but being able to investigate it and understand it in a way that allows you to make a determination to diagnose exactly what's occurring is equally important. So make sure that you train your staff to understand, whoever's going to be doing that review, I should say, to understand exactly what it is they're looking at. Um, if they do look at it and they determine that something is out of order, that malfeasance may have taken place, then they're going to escalate. And I'll, I'll actually back up. And when that escalation gets into 
to play, this is when they're going to go back and start to look at who are we going to call? What are we going to do? And then the remediation is, as I said, it's, it's that process of going in and then we start sending out our letters, we file the reports with the police, we document everything that we're going to do. You're going to hear me say this on three or four different occasions through the presentation. We need to document everything we do all the time. If it isn't documented, it didn't happen. And lastly, you start over again. So the next day, you're right back on track and you're doing it again, you're doing it again. And this is why I'm an advocate for automating the process, not doing it manually. It's just too difficult to do manually. I went the wrong direction. So managing incidents is critical. And in this, uh, uh, what I talked about in the previous slide is the ability to do that investigation and understand within your organization, whether it is a small single office or a large department as part of an enterprise healthcare group, is who owns each part of that segment? Which employees are granted rights within your system to look at certain information? And do you have a way of determining whether or not that individual or those individuals um, have access to that? And let me stop for a moment and say something to you here. Credentials, user password and login name. If I can steal that, then I can look like you and I can log into your system as you. And if I have some idea of who you are and what you do, I might even get lucky enough to go in and navigate through your system and it looks like you're the user who's on the system. So just because you see Ray Ribble logged in at 12 o'clock and did the following actions that were associated with looking at PHI, that doesn't necessarily mean it was Ray Ribble who did that. So you've got to ask yourself, is that normal for Ray to be looking at that information at that time of day, and does that fit within the workflow that he does when he interacts with our patients and the patient records associated with their visit? And so planning and practicing what you're gonna do, having some type of a model that you're working against is extremely important to protecting your business. Um, I recommend an annual security risk assessment. Some people will do it every uh, year and a half or so, but just have something that's normal and practice, and then work with your outside partner to make sure that you're actually going in, and once you've identified those gaps and vulnerabilities, make sure that you're, you're working towards getting them rectified, because as you're doing that, the market is changing, the technology is changing, and unfortunately, the uh, the knowledge base of the people who are looking to conduct malfeasance against your systems is only getting better and getting more crafty. So if you're not constantly reviewing what's happening within your systems, you're probably going to get caught off guard and you're going to have a bad incident occur within your system. As you do your security risk assessment, as you plan and practice, you then need to go in and you need to update your policies and procedures. Um, and that's an ongoing living document. It's just a point in time that you're going to continue to advance as you build it within your organization. So the 2016 version of your policies and procedures should have some changes vis-a-vis -vis your 2017 version that you're going to put out this year, so on and so forth. Um, think of things in terms of timelines from a regulatory perspective, whether it's a high-tech program that you participated in the past, MACRA that's coming up in the future, anything that you're doing that's related to HIPAA, and, and talk to your consultants. But you look at things in blocks of 24 hours. Then you have, if you have to report, depending on what state you're in, it could be anywhere from five days to 60 days that you need to report a breach if that occurs within your organization. So that's something that I would advise everybody to make sure you have in your handbook, that you've taught your staff 
what that reporting function is going to be, and your privacy officer, your security officer should be knowledgeable of that information. And lastly, I'm going to advocate that you should be looking at some type of an auditing tool. I think mine's great. Um, that you should use in order to provide visibility to what's occurring within your system. And again, I emphasize, just because it doesn't look like anybody's doing anything inappropriately doesn't mean that the person who logged in was who they say they were. And so quite often what we're looking for with our system and what we're looking for with our technology isn't somebody who came in from the outside, it's somebody who's on the inside that's posing as one of your employees and creating uh, opportunities for them to exfiltrate uh, patient data. So I want to go into my second poll question here. And this one is with regard to what method of monitoring are you using right now if you're doing anything. I found when we were on the high tech program with the 2,000 organizations that we worked with that we had uh, zero adherence at this level. After four years, we still had almost nobody who was doing any type of spot checking or manual checking of the records. Um, there was just a, a great amount of uh, confidence that the staff that they had wasn't doing anything and that nobody was coming into their systems because the firewalls were in place, encryption was in place, and so there was no way that anybody was going to get the data. Um, I just don't believe that to be true, and I think that's naive on the part of our clients, and so we work really hard to educate our customer base uh, on what they could do in order to protect themselves. Um, let's take a look at this. A few more seconds here. I want to go one minute. Uh, but right now I can see it's pretty even between uh, our top three answers, uh, spot check, automated, and no, form, no formal process. Um, okay, let's close this out. And let's display the results. Hopefully everybody can see that. So it looks like uh, we spot check and automated audit log are our top two answers, actually tied at uh, 34% each. I think that's that's great. For those who spot check, the only thing that I can do there is tell you, make sure that it's a regular activity and again, document it. If you're doing the spot checking, document it every time and have a set of records that are separated to show exactly what you're doing. And if you're spot checking, make sure that that spot check varies in sense of what area of the business are you looking at. Because um, that spot check, is it 5%, is it 10%, is it 20%? Um, remember, that means 95% 90% or 80% of the records aren't being looked at in that period of time as well. So an auditor will come in and if you're spot checking, you're going to pass, but they want to see that you have a regular documented process associated with that. If you're using an automated solution, then you're looking at 100% of your environment and you're safe, you're good, uh, life is going to be okay for you, and you're going to know if something bad happens. No form, no formal process in place, uh, we should talk. Um, and some of you answered, doesn't my EMR EHR do this for us? The reality is no, they don't. What they do is they provide you with the audit log. That was their requirement under the ONC. Um, they provide you with reporting. They allow you to run reports on user access. What they don't show you in those reports is what they were looking at or why they were looking at it or how did that interact in terms of their workflow. And that's where the systems like Sphere come in, the behavioral management systems, and we're looking at that user across uh, a wide swath of time in order to determine whether or not the pattern that they look at the data is consistent with the job that you've given them to do within your organization. It's very different from the types of reports that EMR and EHRs have, um, and it's more in-depth into the application security for you. So uh, if anybody would like to talk about it at a later date, I'd be more than happy to speak to that.
Let's go forward in our presentation now. And I think everybody can see that. And let's go forward. So let me kind of change direction here and just talk about patient privacy versus patient care. Um, I like this, kind of one of my favorites, is do no harm. Uh, do no harm from a, a technology perspective uh, versus from the medical perspective it means protect your patients, protect their PHI. Uh, what we don't want to have happen is a patient comes into your office for a routine exam. And while they're there, somebody working for you or somebody from the outside comes into your system and steals their record, right? Identity theft. You know, I didn't go to the doctor to have my identity stolen. It's kind of the one of, one of the jokes that we have here. But even worse is I didn't go into the doctor's office. My record was exfiltrated, and I have no idea that it happened, and you have no idea that it happened. Um, and in fact, it's going to be that third party who comes in and does some type of a review for me or when I do my next security risk assessment that I identify that. And again, on average, that's 360 days after the fact. Uh, that means my medical record has been out there for 360 days and it probably explains why the bank just called me and told me that there's unusual activity with my, my credit card or even worse, I filed my tax return and I was denied because it said I'd already filed my tax return. Um, and that's happened to a number of clients that I know of. Good news here is there are monitoring solutions that can be used. There are a number of great products that are out there on the market. I believe the one that we've built is appropriate for what you want to do, and I'll talk about that at the end of the presentation. Um, so in terms of automated versus manual, I've laid out some issues here that you can look at. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this other than saying that it's proactive versus reactive. It's like looking out the front windshield of your car versus looking in the rearview mirror and seeing what's happened. If you have a proactive automated solution within your environment, then you're always going to be a step ahead or in the worst case scenario, only 24 hours away from identifying any malfeasance that's taking place within your system. And I think that's where you want to be as an organization. So I would really emphasize to sit down with your security officer and with your compliance officers and find out if there isn't a way to get that type of technology implemented within your security infrastructure that you have at your office. You know, the three things I want to leave you with is protect, adhere, and mitigate. You can read the slide. You can see what these three pillars are about and understand what we're getting at. Protect your patients. Look at the HIPAA compliance, but not just HIPAA. It's, it's HIPAA, it's high-tech, it's MACRA, it's MIPS. There's a number of criteria that are out there that are going to affect you. It's your cybersecurity uh, clause that you may have within your cybersecurity insurance that's going to dictate what you need to do in order to make sure that if a cybersecurity event takes place, that your contract isn't null and void. And then if you take these steps, you're mitigating that risk associated with any type of a penalty or a fine that could come from OCR or CMS. Um, again, I talked about desensitization that happens when a breach occurs. You know, we, we're too used to talking about it. Here we are talking about it yet again on this presentation. Uh, it happens because people have access to email. Quite often they're smart enough to figure out how to get their own personal email into the system. Uh, Third-party vendors are given access to your office, and of course your employees themselves are bringing in their own devices that they may use, and all the devices have cameras on them. So worst case scenario, they can be taking pictures of something even if they're not actually uh, downloading it to some third-party device. So we need to be sensitive to what type of PHI can be exfiltrated. We need to understand what the motivations are going to be. And again, I, I bring this up one more time. Why do they happen? How do they happen? It's financial goals. It's tax fraud. Or it could just be good old snooping and blackmail and gossip that motivates them. It's different for everybody. With a credit card, I can get that replaced. 
but with my medical record, that lives forever. If it's out there, it's out there for a very long time. And we've seen medical records show up three and four years after the breach occurred for patients. Um, so it does not go away, and that damage is long-term for the client. So let's not forget that when we're trying to provide care. I want to skip over this because I want to keep an eye on time here. Uh, we all understand what the HIPAA guidelines are, and if we don't, we should make sure that we, we go back and reinforce that understanding and put that together with the other uh, things that we need to comply with. In terms of methodologies and protecting our PHI, um, I'd like you to just take a look at this, and if you have the opportunity, uh, download this white paper. I found it very useful in my preparation for today in terms of the availability of uh, protecting your PHI, so ensuring that the accurate information is available. Accountability, your organization needs to be accountable for what they're doing and be able to explain that to your patients and your customers. Um, perimeter identification really gets into controlling that boundary, so making sure that You've done everything that you can do in terms of your firewalls, your passwords, your encryptions, your authentication that you have there, and then that transitions into that access. What are, what are your employees allowed to see? Have you partitioned your system such that uh, an employee who is in the front office shouldn't be looking what's happening in the back office? And if so, when they're doing that, you should have some way of being alerted to that transaction so you can review it and make sure that when they are looking at that information, they're doing so under an environment that you have knowledge. And lastly, it's comprehensive. It's having a plan from the very beginning to the very end in terms of how people are looking at data and managing data. The old days of putting the file in the wall are gone. We've now put it in the cloud. We're trusting those cloud partners to protect us. Uh, and I think that's important, and I think they've done a good job. But nonetheless, the burden of proof falls on us as organizations to make sure that we've protected the PHI. So how do I contribute? Well. You do that by training your staff and educating your staff on a constant and regular basis. So what I recommend to our clients, what I recommend to you is put together a few scenarios. If you've got a friend who's had a breach, why don't you practice that breach at your office and see how the employees in your office would react to that. Or even do a test case, what they call penetration testing. Bring in a third party to have them run a test. Have them run a phishing email through the office to see how many people actually would click on it if it comes in. Look at the various systems that are out there in terms of system activity review and what are your requirements and make sure that as you go through your security risk assessment that you have met those rules and that you've implemented policies and procedures accordingly so that you're protected. The rule of thumb here is that the security risk assessment in each section, whether it's the technical safeguards or the physical safeguards, has a number of questions that will give you the hints in terms of what you need to do and how you need to do it. I have done a lot of this SRAs myself, and I'll tell you, be honest. Be honest with yourself. If you don't do it, don't say, yes, we do that if you don't. Because the worst part is if you say yes, if you have, get breached and they come in, your cybersecurity people are going to say, well, you actually didn't, so that's null and void. The, the OCR or CMS is going to come in and look at it and say, well, you said you did, but you didn't. That's willful neglect. And so you end up in a very bad situation and a very costly situation. So be honest to yourself. Be honest to your group. And if it isn't documented, it didn't happen. Uh, regular and appropriate makes sense. Scalable security solutions for compliance. And then uh, this one here, I just want you to look at what an organization, if they, just a small organization with 100 employees, you're looking at 2.5 million records. That would take 700 hours to look at manually. With an automated solution, you can get that done in 20 minutes. 
I'm going to skip over this because I can see that we're kind of uh, closing in on the end of time here, but I focused on compliance and security. There's a couple slides you can look at that I think are helpful for your organization. Uh, I tried, tried to point out for you the differences between cybersecurity and just compliance and understand that there is a difference between the two and what you can do and how you can utilize that within your organization. Um, again, Jill did a very nice job of explaining who we are at Sphere. Our job is to protect patient data. We do that through a machine learning based solution that works for you. Basically, Sphere, there's no footprint in your organization whatsoever. Our system connects to whatever EHR, EMR, third-party system that you're using. We examine the data on a daily basis to make sure that you are secure. Um, as part of today's presentation, what I want to offer to everybody is if you're interested in seeing what we do and how our product works, if you reach out to us, I'll provide Sphere to everybody who's on the call today for one month at no cost. That gives you a no-obligation opportunity to see how our product works, see how the technology functions, and determine for yourself whether or not an automated tool might help you to better protect your PHI for your patients. Um, in summary, what I tried to go over for you today is understanding what that attack surface looks like from a PHI perspective. I know it's a lot of information to kind of put out there in an hour or less. I apologize for that. Um, my recommendation is to look inwardly, not just externally. Um, have an action plan for the incidents. Know what you're going to do. Know how you're going to do it. Make sure that that's documented. Uh, protect the PHI. Do everything that you can. Get your people educated on how that happens and understand what is PHI and what you need to do. Have good hygienal uh, attributes within your organization as it relates to privacy and security and make sure you understand, everybody understands those rules. Uh, lastly, I skipped over and I apologize for that, but compliance is not security. They're not equal to each other. Security is a component of it, uh, and they work hand-in-hand hand with each other. So have a strong compliance program, but also have a strong security program. And lastly, the, I wanted to emphasize, and I think I've done this throughout the presentation, that an automated approach at this point in time, there's just too much data moving around in your office. It's, it's, it's encumbering uh, to the organization. You can't manage it. And at this point, I think we've reached the stage where we need to bring in a third-party tool, such as Sphere, to help you manage that. With that, I'd like to turn it back to Jill and open up to everybody for a question and answer. And thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Ray. Uh, we do have a couple of questions. Uh, one of the attendees is a HIPAA consultant, and she's asking what you think about breach insurance. Breach insurance, okay. So um, I actually had an opportunity to attend the advising uh, conference earlier this year and um, sit through a number of uh, presentations on that subject. I, I'm a believer in it. Uh, I just think that today you're running into situations where um, a cybersecurity breach can, can occur through a number of different uh, indices, whether it's the outsiders coming in or the insiders who already have access. Um, as I emphasized in the presentation, uh, cybersecurity insurance is important, but what they talked about to the insurance industry was to emphasize to their customers that they need to make sure that they are adhering to the rules in order to make sure that they don't are don't become disqualified from the use of this. Does that make sense, Joe? They, they mm -hmm. don't want to be qualified with the use of their insurance. So if you're going to pay for it, make sure you've done everything to make sure that if it occurs, you're going to be covered. I guess that's the cleanest way for me to answer that question. Okay. What types of breaches are the OCR CMS auditors looking for? <laughs> I, I guess, uh, and I pointed this out earlier, 
Um, we've been through probably about 50 different um, audits now with our organization. And what our customers have shared with us is they'll come in based on some specific instance. But once they're in the organization, they look at everything. Um, willful neglect is probably the first and foremost issue that they are paying attention to. Have you done what can be done within your organization? So their level of expectation for a private practice or a large clinic might differ from what they're looking at when they're looking at a major hospital enterprise organization. Uh, they understand that everybody isn't equal from that perspective. But willful neglect, you know, the fact that you're not, you're not doing any spot checking, you're not doing any monitoring of user activity, um, you don't have policies and procedures in place, you're not educating your staff on how to identify incidents. Those are the type of things that they typically bring up and that's where the penalties are being leveled against those organizations. Okay, you mentioned in one of your slides that EHR does not provide detection. Um, this is not what our vendor told us. Uh, what am I missing? Yeah, I think uh, we saw that in the uh, in the poll that we put out too, right, Jill? Yeah. That uh, I think it was about 13, 14, 15 percent of the uh, respondents indicated that they believe their EMR EHR is doing that for them. The EMR EHR provides the audit log. Uh, that audit log can then be reviewed by you. And by the way, the audit log is generated um, in a lot of different ways. So there's one organization that provides an audit log that only shows 50 records at a time. Uh, other organizations allow you to download anywhere from the last day to the last week to the last month. Um, the organizations have very limited archive time, so they might only have information for the last 10 days, the last 30 days, in the best case scenario, the last 90 days. Whereas if you automate with a tool like Sphere, uh, basically we retain all the information associated with all of your audits that we conduct for you for a seven-year period of time. So if somebody comes back 360 days after and claims that somehow they were breached from your office, you have the ability to go back and forensically look at all of the information associated with that individual's activities and review it and provide you know, documented resources to show that it didn't happen. With the EMR and with the EHR, you would not be able to do that. And that's really what it comes down to is the, the burden of proof that's associated with an investigation that happens after the fact. Okay, and you also mentioned um, the reporting regulatory timelines. Can you just uh, touch on that again? Sure. Um, what I'd comment on there was the fact that uh, across the United States it varies. Uh, California is five days from the date that you um, basically identify the breach. Um, so I, I always say be very, very careful. Once you've identified the breach, the clock is ticking. And that's the first thing that the auditors will come in and ask you is, when did you identify that? Show me the systems that you used to identify. That's the clock that they measure by. So in California, we're five days. In other part of the United States, they, they operate against the federal model, which is 60 days. So it's going to be somewhere between five and 60. The best thing to do is for each of our listeners is to go and reach out to your state uh, regulatory groups and find out what is that mandated reporting uh, date for your state, and that'll tell you what you're operating against. Okay. Okay. Um, can you touch on encryption, use of encryption? Sure. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole presentation. <laughs> um, encryption, I guess when you when you talk about encryption, we're talking about encrypting uh, the patient data and the PHI files as we're moving them around or sharing them or in our 
case, uploading them into the cloud uh, or basically interacting with your EHR. So encryption exists at multiple levels. Um, with medical devices, um, there's encryption, but you need to be careful. So if you're using a number of third-party medical devices in your office, and when you bought them, the, the OEM told you that they were encrypted, I, I might ask you to just add a checkbox to your list and go back out there and make sure that on an annual basis or quarterly basis, one of the questions you're asking that firm is, have we updated the firmware for the latest and greatest patches that will protect us against any uh, malfeasance? So there's encryption that's available from them, but it's something you can't do yourself. You know, you can, you or your IT person go in and encrypt your laptop, but you're not able to go into those devices and do that. It takes the OEM to do that. Um, the encryption that exists when you're transferring data in your HIE or to a system like Sphere, there's various levels of encryption that take place there. Uh, some of the cloud vendors that are out there do provide encryption, so you should have that as one of your key questions that you're asking any of your vendors who are hosting data for you, is to give you a plan of that encryption and include that encryption plan in your policies and procedures. So you should have a section in there that says, here's my medical devices, here are my third-party vendors, and here are the encryption plans that I have associated with each one of those groups, and here's how the updates occur within each one of those groups. So I know it sounds technical, but right now the point here is to protect yourself and to make sure that the data that you share or that you move around is in fact locked down to as much as possible. Hopefully that answered that question, Joe. Okay. And um, you touched on the business associate agreements. How often do you think they should be updated? Good question. Uh, I, might, I might put that question to you. We recommend annually that they should you know, be checked to be sure that they are up to date. We do an annual check here. So let me use our organization as, as a good uh, sample set here. So we update our BAA with all of our customers across the United States on an annual basis. So as their contracts go for renewal, we automatically update the BAA with that. And I think that's a good practice for everybody to have. I agree. Uh, do you recommend the book um, that you mentioned on your slide, For the Record, Protecting Electronic Health Information? There's a, not a book, it's a couple of white papers. And um, what I'd be happy to do is share some of the white papers that I used. Um, the one that I worked on together with the PHI Protection uh, Network, I think is excellent and gives a lot of background. And in that uh, white paper that I worked on with our group, um, we put all of the resources and all of the uh, various uh, organizations that we reached out to, whether it was the Poneman Group or Jamalta or whomever, um, all of those sources are in the white paper so that you have the ability to look at them and, and go and access all of that information as part of your research. Okay, one last question. Um, our office regularly pulls at least random 5% of weekly activity for review. On top of that, we use Splunk to monitor all access into our applications. Why do I need more tools to tell me what I already know? It's a, it's a really great question. Um, and, and honestly, if, if they're doing that, I, I think that's great. They've met all the requirements from a minimum perspective if they were to be audited. Uh, I always kind of take the, the transverse. If you're only looking at 5%, then you're not looking at 95%. And that's a lot of risk associated with your group. Uh, let's use Splunk or NetIQ or QRadar, uh, various uh, products out there that are what we call SIMS, uh, Security Information Event Management Tools. Uh, they're very good at monitoring what's happening at the network level. They tell you who knocked on the door and is going into the application. Unfortunately, they don't tell you what's occurring inside the application from a workflow process, from a data access process. So 
that's where tools like Sphere come in. And Sphere is telling you once the individual logs in, what did they look at, how long did they look at, and is that consistent with their profile within the system? And that's something that you want to know. Is Ray doing what he's supposed to do? Is it consistent with his profile and his user access to the system? Because if your EHR, your EMR, Splunk don't catch it, and that's one of our customers had that situation happen where their perimeter uh, security measures didn't capture a three-year previous employee coming in, Sphere was able to identify that once they got the attempt to go into the application exists. And that's why you need another tool, because we've become very sophisticated, we being the bad guys here, uh, have become very sophisticated at as posing as Jill or Ray when, in fact, you know, it's it's Ivan from Russia or whomever. Well, thank you so much, Ray. I think that uh, concludes the amount of time we have. Uh, you have Ray's contact information on the screen if you have further questions. If you uh, send them to us, we will forward them on to him. You can register for our future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at 1sthc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. Thank you so much for joining us today and have a great day. Thank you, everybody.